This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, a development in the debt limit deadlock. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy reveals his plan to avoid a looming default. But is President Biden willing to negotiate while Democrats control the Senate? Allegations of special treatment. An IRS agent says the Hunter Biden investigation is being mishandled. He wants whistleblower status to tell Congress all about it. A deadly stampede in Yemen's capital. Nearly 80 people are dead and dozens injured. Two people have been detained in connection with the incident. Did a state steal $25,000 from a 94-year-old grandmother? A legal group says so. It involves seizing her home to cover unpaid taxes. We bring you more on the Supreme Court case over alleged home equity theft. And soccer is not just a game for the young, but also the young at heart. A Japanese soccer club has competitors in their 80s and even older. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. And I'm Tiffany Meyer in for Evelyn Lee. Today is Thursday, April 20th. We start off with news from Capitol Hill. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy revealed his plan to avoid a debt default yesterday. A default could happen as soon as this summer if the debt limit isn't raised. McCarthy has agreed to raise the limit by $1.5 trillion, but not without cuts to federal spending. McCarthy says his plan takes away dependency on China, curbs inflation, and protects Medicare and Social Security. But President Biden is not willing to negotiate. He wants the debt limit raised with no conditions attached. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on McCarthy's proposal. The speaker is recognized. McCarthy's plan is called the Limit Save Grow Act. It would raise the nation's $31.4 trillion debt limit by an additional $1.5 trillion. If the new debt limit is not breached by March 31, 2024, it allows Congress to increase borrowing authority again. The measure would push a more permanent resolution into the middle of a presidential election year. President Biden is skipping town to deliver a speech in Maryland rather than sitting down to address the debt ceiling. McCarthy is pushing to get the bill past his chamber by next week, but he might not even have enough votes. The bill needs support from 218 Republicans. Five GOP seats could block it. NTD's Molina Wisecup spoke with some Republican representatives to get their position on raising the debt ceiling. Not without the, again, the logical cuts that need to be made to help us pay those debts. We're going to have to have spending cuts. We're going to have to save money. We're going to have to have growth. Congressman Ralph Norman says the Budget Committee has fielded over 500 amendments to the plan from House members and is confident it can make it past the lower chamber. We're in a crisis. This country can't, uh, economic security is national security. Our dollar is threatened. Uh, but I do think, we, we, I just got through the meeting, we're going to put something, our budget committee, we're going to put something on the table. We'll get an up-to-town vote. The measure would return discretionary spending to 2022 levels and limit spending growth to 1% per year. It takes back unspent COVID-19 relief funds, scraps Biden's $400 billion student loan forgiveness plan, and kills new IRS funding from the Inflation Reduction Act. It also repeals green energy tax credits and boosts domestic oil and gas production. It does not include cuts to Social Security and Medicare, but imposes new work requirements for food stamp and Medicaid programs. 
The bill also gives Congress more power to halt regulations from the executive branch. McCarthy says his bill will save $4.5 trillion. No official cost estimates have been released. The White House insists the borrowing limit is raised without any conditions. Speaker McCarthy is engaging in, in dangerous economic hostage-taking. President Biden has said he's not willing to negotiate. He proposed a huge cuts in imports and very important programs that millions of hard-working and middle-class Americans count on. The U.S. already reached its set $31.4 trillion debt ceiling in January. It didn't default because of extraordinary measures taken by the Treasury. Recent estimates foresee those measures exhausted by late summer. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. McCarthy's plan has very little chance to pass the Democrat-led Senate. McCarthy thinks if the bill can pass the House, it will strengthen his position to negotiate a spending cut package before a default. An IRS agent is alleging that the Hunter Biden tax evasion investigation is being mishandled. The official is seeking whistleblower protection to provide testimony to Congress. Entity's Daniel Monahan has the story. The whistleblower is being represented by attorney Mark Lytle. Lytle told a group of congressional committee leaders on Wednesday that he wants to expose preferential treatment and false testimony to Congress by a senior political appointee. Lytle appeared on CBS Evening News. Typical steps that a law enforcement investigator would take were compromised because of political considerations. Lytle says the unnamed whistleblower is a career IRS criminal supervisory special agent who has been overseeing the ongoing and sensitive investigation of a high-profile controversial subject since early 2020. The New York Post reported that a congressional source confirmed the person in question is Hunter Biden. Lytle says his client has already testified internally at the IRS and has made disclosures to the Department of Justice and to the Office of the Inspector General. According to Lytle, his client can back up all of his claims. The things he's been through are, are very well documented in emails and other communications with the Department of Justice. Senator Ron Johnson told Real America's Voice that the truth is now trying to come out. What is jaw-dropping is Hunter Biden knew he was being investigated by the IRS and he continued his grifts. The family continued their grifts. Johnson pointed an accusatory finger at the media. These guys are brazen. That they, they know that they can count on the media to cover for them. They, they know that they're above the law. Representative Russell Fry called the Biden family investigation explosive stuff on Fox News. Where you see members of the Biden family uh, that have no connection to energy companies whatsoever all of a sudden receive through a series of transactions this money. Lytle says the whistleblower wishes to testify in a nonpartisan manner to the leadership of relevant committees on both sides of the aisle. Hunter Biden has been under federal investigation since 2018. The investigation is being led by Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss. He has not been charged with any crimes. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. A court weighs in on the dispute between Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg and House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan. It involves a subpoena for a former prosecutor. U.S. District Judge ruled yesterday the House Judiciary Committee can subpoena Mark Pomerantz to testify. Pomerantz is a former prosecutor who worked for the Manhattan DA and led the investigation into former President Trump. Bragg sued last week to prevent the subpoena. However, the judge ruled the House committee has the authority to become involved in the investigation into Trump. 
Pomerantz is slated to testify today. The former prosecutor left the Manhattan DA's office in February 2022 because Bragg initially decided not to pursue a criminal case against Trump. From politics to disasters, at least two people are dead after powerful thunderstorms brought tornadoes to the Midwest last night. The rural town of Cole, Oklahoma was hit hard by a monster tornado. The giant twister ripped off roofs and knocked down trees, all while dropping golf ball-sized pieces of hail. Widespread power outages were reported. Sheriff's deputies responded to reports of people injured and trapped. The National Weather Service says the Cole Twister was one of several tornadoes confirmed across central Oklahoma. Warnings for severe thunderstorms, hail, and tornadoes had been issued for parts of the Midwest, including Oklahoma, Kansas, and Iowa. Almost 20,000 customers in Oklahoma remained without power as of early this morning. Now for the latest on the Alabama birthday party shooting. A third suspect is now in custody. 20-year-old Wilson Lamar Hill Jr. of Auburn, Alabama, was arrested and charged yesterday. 17-year-old Tyreek McCullough and 16-year-old Travis McCullough of Tuskegee were arrested Tuesday night. Authorities say they will be prosecuted as adults. All three suspects have been charged with four counts of reckless murder. Four of the 32 injured in the shooting were still in critical condition as of last night. We don't know what the motive is yet. Here's what a police sergeant had to say yesterday. We're tired of going to the mothers and having to tell them that these kids are not coming home. This is Alabama. And when you pull out a gun and you start shooting people, we're going to put you in jail. And in another tragic shooting, no bail for a man suspected of killing a young woman when the SUV she was sitting in accidentally drove into his driveway. The judge ruled that defendant Kevin Monahan should be remanded into the custody of the sheriff's department. Honor student Kaylin Gillis was fatally shot on Saturday. This when Monahan allegedly fired two shots at a vehicle transporting Gillis and her friends. The group drove away after the shots were fired and called 911. Gillis was pronounced dead a few miles away. Local media reported the suspect's reputation of being confrontational and hot-tempered. Neighbors say the suspect became aggressive when people pulled into his driveway by mistake. Monahan pleaded not guilty to the charges. Kalen Gillis's father, Andrew Gillis, spoke to the public. Kalen was an amazing young lady. We all loved her so much. She was so kind. My daughter was a, an honor student. She had hopes and dreams of becoming a marine biologist or a veterinarian. She loved animals. And this man took that away from us. In New York City, Mayor Eric Adams has some grievances with Washington. That's over the illegal immigration crisis in the Big Apple. Adams is accusing the White House of turning its back on the problem. Here's Adams yesterday. This is one of the largest humanitarian crises that this city has ever experienced. Title 42 is getting ready to be released. What do you think is going to happen? Thousands of people are waiting to come across the border and potentially end up in New York City. So 52,000 can jump to 100,000 if we don't get this under control. This is in the lap of the president of the United States. Adams blames Republicans for not changing immigration laws. He wants the illegal immigrants in the city to be able to work. 
But Adam says new laws are not needed to solve the crisis. He is calling for the president to take action and says all it will take is the stroke of a pen. And coming up, a deadly stampede in Yemen's capital kills dozens of people. Hundreds gathered to receive charitable donations during the holy month of Ramadan. Data storage company Seagate is hit with a $300 million fine. The company shipped millions of hard drives to a blacklisted Chinese telecom firm. More on that after the break. At least 78 people died and dozens were injured in a stampede in Yemen yesterday. Hundreds had gathered in the Yemeni capital Sana'a to receive charitable merchant donations during the final days of the holy month of Ramadan. Local media reported that more than a dozen people were taken to the hospital in critical condition. Video footage shows a chaotic scene with dozens of people packed tightly together, unable to move, and shouting for help. Hundreds of people had crowded into a school to receive the donations of 5,000 Yemeni rial, which is less than $10. According to the Interior Ministry, the two merchants who organized the event have been detained. Yemen has been embroiled in a civil war which started in 2015 and wrecked the country's economy. Tens of thousands have been killed since the conflict started. More than 20 million people in the country are in need of humanitarian assistance. Data storage company Seagate will be paying a heavy fine for violating U.S. export control laws. The company shipped over $1 billion worth of hard drives to Huawei, a blacklisted Chinese company. California-based Seagate Technology has agreed to pay a $300 million fine and a settlement with the Commerce Department. The data storage company shipped over 7 million hard drives worth more than a billion dollars to Chinese telecom giant Huawei. Huawei was placed on a U.S. trade blacklist in 2019 due to national security concerns. A rule in August 2020 further restricted sales of certain foreign items made with U.S. technology to Huawei. The Commerce Department said Seagate was Huawei's sole supplier of hard drives during a one-year period ending in September 2021. The department also noted that this was the largest penalty it ever announced, not tied to a criminal case. The department said its competitors had stopped selling to them. Seagate continued sending hard disk drives to Huawei. Today's action is the consequence. Seagate maintains their foreign-made drives were not subject to U.S. export regulations. The company's CEO addressed the issue, saying, While we believed we complied with all relevant export control laws at the time we made the hard disk drive sales at issue, we determined that settling this matter was the best course of action. In foreign affairs, Sweden is hopeful that it will join NATO by July. The company's bid to join the alliance had so far been stalled. Unanimous consent is required from all member states. Entities Kost Hemenes tells us more. Sweden's bid to join NATO remains on hold by opposition from Turkey and Hungary, despite neighboring Finland's application having been approved several weeks ago. According to Sweden's foreign minister, the country is hopeful this will change this summer, when an alliance summit takes place in the Lithuanian capital. But we have been invited. We have a very, very strong support. We hear daily public responses or public uh, acknowledgements being made by our future NATO allies to the effect that Sweden is going to be a welcome partner. Bill Ström added Sweden will bring well-equipped and well-trained forces to NATO. 
We will be a security provider for the organization, and it is clear that we are welcomed. Earlier this week, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin met with his Swedish counterpart in Stockholm. Austin expressed strong support for Sweden joining the alliance. Both Sweden and Finland jointly applied for NATO membership in May 2022, following the start of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Kost MNS, NTD News. Turkey has accused Sweden of harboring terrorist groups. Sweden denies the charges. Turkey is demanding extradition. It's holding back on ratifying Sweden's NATO membership. Sweden criticizes Turkey for human rights abuses and concerns over democratic standards. Hungary says Sweden has had a hostile attitude to Budapest for years. It's angry over Swedish criticism of Prime Minister Viktor Orban. Hungary says its grievances need to be addressed before it'll ratify Sweden's membership. If you fail to pay taxes on your home, you owe them, yes. But if a state takes your home and sells it using the money to pay off the tax debt, does the state have the right to keep the rest of your equity, your money? That's the case now before the Supreme Court. And humble, media-shy, 94-year-old grandmother Geraldine Tyler, who moved out of her small Minnesota condo due to rising crime and then stopped paying taxes on it, is at the center of this national issue. I spoke with one of the attorneys. Joining us now is Joshua Thompson, a senior attorney at Pacific Legal Foundation. It's great to have you with us, Joshua. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. In your view, why should Tyler be given her equity back? Well, because the government has violated the Constitution. The Fifth Amendment to the Constitution guarantees that private property cannot be taken but for just compensation. What the government has done here it is has taken her equity in her home that she used a lifetime to build up and uh, sold her property and gave her nothing in return. That violates the Fifth Amendment, and under the Constitution's guarantees, she's entitled to that, that equity back. So the district court said the government took it, so Tyler doesn't own that property, and then the Eighth Circuit said that they gave adequate notice, so there was no unconstitutional taking. What's your response to this? It's not a question of notice. It's a question of whether the government takes a, a property right. What they have done here is, sure, she had notice, but when they take her property, when they sell it, she's entitled to the equity. We don't dispute that she had a tax burden that she had to fulfill, but that was a 15,000 debt. When the government sold her property for $40,000, it satisfied its tax obligation of 15, and she was entitled to that 25,000 back. The government isn't entitled to a windfall just because someone falls short on their taxes when they're 94 years old. So what are the broader impacts of this case? Let's say Tyler does win. First of all, does that mean that states have to change their laws if they do allow for them to retain this excess profit? So this is a campaign the Pacific Legal Foundation has been fighting for, for a number of years now. Uh, we first uh, uh, litigated this case in Michigan where, where one property owner was only down, had only owed the government $8 and the government sold his home for over $25,000 and kept all that equity. So it is a problem that is in multiple states. Fortunately, we've had some successes. Legislation has banned the practice in Montana, North Dakota, Wisconsin, that we've led those legislative efforts and Supreme Court opinions in Michigan have ended the practice there. Unfortunately, there are still a number of states, Minnesota included, uh, that continue to take home equity. We hope that the Supreme Court's opinion in this case will end this practice once and for all. What are the impacts for homeowners based on the precedent set by this case? The precedent hopefully will, that will, will be set that when, when 
individual homeowners, individual property owners own the equity in their home, that that is their property, right? And the government cannot take that uh, without a good reason, A, and if they do have a good reason, they need to uh, pay back the surplus equity. That, in other words, it's a taking that demands just compensation under the Fifth Amendment. Joshua Thompson, Senior Attorney at Pacific Legal Foundation, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Turning out of tech, you might have never had your iPhone stolen, but you can likely imagine how disruptive it would be, especially if a thief locked you out permanently by changing your iCloud password. This prevents the user from accessing the Find My feature to remotely erase the phone and protect their data. More importantly, victims of theft will be completely locked out from recovering any data within the account, such as valuable photos and videos stored in iCloud over the years. This effect extends to the other devices connected to the same Apple ID, such as iPads and Mac computers. Thieves may also have the ability to access sensitive third-party data stored in financial or bank apps. So Kevin, one way to be prepared is to perform a little experiment on your iPhone. Pretend you are a thief and you only know the passcode. See how much access you have on your phone without entering any passwords. Yeah, this will give you an idea as to what a thief can potentially get away with if they ever get a hold of your phone. And one step you can take now is to use Face ID or Touch ID in public spaces instead of entering your code. Apple is also recommending changing from a numerical passcode to one that uses numbers and letters, so it's harder to spy on. Yeah, that's a good point, Tiff. Soccer is not just a game for the young, but also the young at heart. A Japanese soccer club has competitors in their 80s and even older after the break. Welcome back. High-contact sports such as soccer were once considered off-limits for the elderly due to risk of injury. But in Japan, active seniors are changing perceptions of what older people can do. Let's take a look. At kickoff, teams race across the field battling to put the first ball past the opposing goalkeeper. It could be any amateur soccer match, except in this case, all the players are aged 80 and above. I think it's just like the structure of Japanese society. It may be an aging society, but people can still enjoy doing this kind of thing. I think it's a really good example of this. Ito is part of a team that set up an over-60 soccer league in 2002. When it started, there were only four teams for players age 70 and older. This year, there are 18, including those that are part of the over-80s league, and the number is projected to grow to 26 by 2026. The average age of players in the three over 80 teams ranges between 82 and 84 years old. At 93, former race car designer and goalkeeper for the White Bear team, Shingo Shiozawa, is the oldest man on the field. It must be around 30 years since I was the goalkeeper in a match. For Ito, the league's expansion over the last two decades is an encouraging sign for Japan's graying population. Playing soccer offers seniors more than just exercise. It's also a chance to socialize and make new friends with different backgrounds. People's spirits and their physical health are being enriched. People are trying a lot of things, so that's why even as society ages, the elderly are healthy. And this is a good direction to be headed in. Wow, impressive. It's good to stay active, you know what I mean, at any age. 
I feel like they have more energy than I do. It looks very fun. But have you ever played any sports? Yeah, I played soccer. I was a midfielder. A lot of running. Oh, wow. The closest I got was uh, cross country. Oh, good for you. <laughs> yes. And that's all from us on today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. So shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Tiffany Meyer. And I'm Kevin Hogan.